And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. This is our last episode for 2021. And this is another year, personally, I'll be glad to have in the books. But it was good too. Anyway, we've got uh, probably the perfect person to end the year with, and it's Valerie Chardon. She was with us a couple times last year or earlier this year. Um, we did a podcast with her early in the year. We featured her. She's a featured photographer for June and uh, to help us celebrate uh, women street photographers. And now she's back. We'll talk a little bit about some of the big things of 2021, maybe make some predictions for 2022. I didn't tell you about that one, did I? Anyway, welcome, <laughs> Valerie. How are you? Bonjour. Well, I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Bonjour. What time do you start saying bonsoir? Uh, well, usually I do after after 6 p.m. Oh, late. Yeah. Okay. They must, the actually, French they, it's a good question. There's probably a proper time, but I don't know. Yeah. You can't go wrong with bonjour. I don't know. Well, that's true. That's true. So anyway, welcome back. Uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll spare you the you know, running down your history in photography. <laughs> Thank most, you. most people who listen to our show know who you are. And uh, so anyway, you just got back from France. You said you've been going back there. So, um, yes, I've been going uh, back to France uh, a lot since uh, I got vaccinated, actually, <laughs> um, and resumed workshops. So uh, it's been um, well, 2021 didn't start off so great because I had to cancel uh, the early workshops uh, until spring, late spring. Started in June, actually. Hmm. Uh, so I went back. To, I went back home um, just to be home, and uh, and it's actually strange because usually when I go back home, I I work and then I take a few days after mm -hmm. or before to visit family. But I've made more trips back home just for vacation time during the pandemic than ever before, because usually I'm always working. And so I've had quite a quite a few uh, weeks of just uh, hanging out uh, at my other home in Normandy, which has been quite lovely. And um, so I've been going back and forth to France quite a bit, actually, as we're recording this. I just got back three days ago. Um, so yes, it's been, it's been a, it was a pretty good year so far. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's uh, that's really good. So, what's it like traveling international right now? Um, you know, actually, traveling internationally is pretty easy. Um, it's the traveling within the U.S. that mm. is the anxiety uh, part mm. of the trip. So, uh, I always recommend people, and I've had I've I've led several international workshops um, this fall and people were coming from all over, uh, all over Europe, uh, Canada, the US. Usually I have Australians, but they've been stuck for quite a while now. So I've had mm -hmm. no Australian um, uh, participants this year. But um, the once you travel internationally, you get on a flight with only vaccinated people who just had a negative test, you know, within mm -hmm. um, a day. So the, it, that's 
you know, you, f- you feel pretty safe and the flights haven't been completely full, although they're starting to fill up quite a bit now. The part that is, uh, that is more stressful is when you travel within the US where you could very well be sitting next to somebody with full-blown symptom. And because there is no, you know, no testing, no checking of any kind within the US. So uh, my international flights have been really relaxing. However, I taught in San Francisco, and just that that four-hour flight to San Francisco was a lot more stressful than the flight mm. from Minneapolis to Paris because you don't know who was sitting around you, and mm. uh, and 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 I just don't get it. And you don't know <laughs> two years into this, oh, we could still be in that position. So anyhow, and you don't know if they're gonna start a fight because they don't want to wear a mask or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that, that's been pretty good. I mean, I, I fly Delta and uh, um, it's that has been actually pretty good. I haven't had any bad experiences. So um, international flight, same thing. When you come back, you have a, a, a test that's been, you know, taken within 24 hours of getting on your flight. Yes, of course, there's probably a few COVID positive, you know, breakthrough cases on the plane. Uh, but then there are probably more around you when you're at the grocery store and most people don't wear masks here anymore. So, um, honestly, the, the internet, the, the traveling has been really easy. Even before I was vaccinated, uh, it actually felt quite safe. And I had done a blog post about that with pictures along the way, you know, the first flight during the pandemic or second, because I came back in the middle of the lockdown uh, in March 2020. But um, mm. that was probably the most stressful stressful flight of all. <laughs> yeah, that's when I came back from New Zealand, March 19th, 2020. Yeah. Scary. So They were glad to get rid of us. <laughs> And uh, and so now I think we just uh, we just have to learn to live with this, and um, I think much. things are going to get worse before they get better. But uh, do you still have the same number of people in your workshops that you did before? Yes, That's um, great. ten uh, groups of ten. And uh, it was really amazing. I did uh, two week long workshops in the fall, one in Paris, one in Normandy, and honestly, during the whole week. Uh, we we didn't even talk about COVID. It was it was no different than it was in 2019, and I was nervous, honestly. When you know, I I wanted everybody to enjoy it as much as they've always enjoyed it. And some people were in in some, the same workshops two three years ago and came again, and they they saw no difference. And that that was really reassuring. So um, as long as uh, everybody feels safe and they can relax and enjoy the camaraderie of a workshop and um and you know spending all their time and energy focusing on what they love to do uh, that is photography i think you kind of you're able to it's it's such it's so therapeutic that you're able to forget everything else and uh, that that's been a lifesaver i can't tell you how good it felt to restart the workshops after a year and a half yeah. It's got to be refreshing for your students just to, to get away from mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. like you say, and get immersed in photography again. Yeah, for a lot of them, it was the first time they picked up the camera again yeah. after almost two years. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was good. Uh, everybody was, <laughs> nobody wanted to leave any of those workshops. We really had a good time. So, Let's do another so keeping my fingers crossed that uh, 2022 will be even better. 
I think it will. I think it will. So you basically have a full slate scheduled for the whole year? Um, yeah, to- not as many as a normal year, but I, I probably have 10 workshops going. So twice as many as I did in 2021 because I started halfway, halfway yeah. through the year. So, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. So, I don't know, you've been doing this for a while. And I just wonder, you mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, some people have come back after two years or three years or whatever. I mean, during the the time you've been teaching, how how has your teaching methodology or um, your outcomes or whatever, how, how has that evolved over that period of time? You know, people... People already think there is a kind of a magic uh, secret recipe to, mm-hmm. to teaching workshops. And actually there isn't because it's 100% you mm-hmm. and uh, you just have to be yourself. And not everyone can teach. There are amazing photographers who just cannot teach. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so you have to be yourself. A lot of people come on my workshop kind of wanting to know how it's done, you know, so that they can start their own workshops. But it makes no sense because no one is going to ever do it like me. And I can't do it like somebody else either, because it's so much about your personality. Uh, It's more about your personality and your teaching uh, style than anything else. Uh, People come, of course, because they like your photography. They wouldn't come on a workshop if they didn't like your work. So that's a given. But the teaching style is really is 100% the uh, personality thing. And and when I started workshops, I just, I never never went on a workshop before I started teaching them um, because it would be, it would make no sense. You have to just do it hundred percent follow following your heart you know there's one thing uh i've seen that you do and you talk about you've talked about a lot and that's basically limiting yourself working with only one camera one lens i know i don't know if you're still shooting with a 35 equivalent all the time Mm -hmm. um and I just wonder, you know, why is that so important? And, and when you teach your workshops, is that something you require of your students? Leave the uh, Zoom no. at home and... <laughs> I mean, usually when people come on my workshops, they uh-huh. they like my style and they like my style of, um, of limitations. And they kind of, they want to get there. They want to be able to uh, walk around with one camera, one lens and, and not carry anything in a bag. Mm -hmm. So they tend to carry very similar gear that I have. Um, I don't care what people shoot with. Some people come with amazing, um, camera phones now, and that's fine. That's, that's limitations there too. So, um, if people have a zoom, I never tell people, uh, what to bring. They often ask me if I have those three lenses, which ones do you think I should bring? And sometimes I say, well, you know, bring a prime for sure. If you have Mm -hmm. a prime, if you have to bring both, because unless you're, some people are going to be 35 millimeter shooters. Some are going to be 18. Some are going to be 50, you know, that you have Mm -hmm. to find that, that, uh, focal length that fits your vision. And so I ask people to bring um, 
bring if they're not sure to bring a couple different focal lengths so that one day they can shoot with one next day they can try another you know and then they find what's uh, what's right for them if they don't even have a prime well a zoom lens doesn't have to be zoomed right. and you can set it on 35 for the for a week uh so definitely for for street photography or any photography for that matter i i think a prime lens is definitely gonna yield better work because it's going to slow you down a little bit but I, recently i've been um uh, having fun with a lens baby and talk about limitations and <laughs> slowing you down. Uh, I was just in Normandy last week for a week and uh, it was just a family time. And I took a Saul 45, mm. which is uh, so they're the lens babies are all manual focus. And this one you tilt. Uh, so the, the focus is centered, but you can tilt the lens so that you can put the, the sharp, sharpest, uh, sharpest point, which is never going to be super sharp. So you have to let go of that. Mm -hmm. And then you can tilt it up or one and the thirds or at the bottom. So it, it is so, um, it's such a challenge, but how fun to be able to, to do that in the field versus doing it in photoshop because i'm sure you can give the same type of effect you know yeah. with some manipulations and post processing but then you don't learn anything and exactly. you're not having the fun that you have doing it in the field so i i had fun with that i just published a, a blog post on uh, the off season because i was in normandy on the beach and december is you know pretty dead on the coast uh the off season with the uh creative focus lens and uh and it's such a good exercise to just let go of perfection and just embrace the the blur. No matter what, it's it's not going to be sharp. <laughs> it's not going and away. And so it's the matter of how much blur you want. And it's it's so fun. So, so um, while you were out with that lens, did, were you kicking yourself saying, why did I do this? <laughs> <laughs> No, you have to make the commitment. Yeah. Uh, you go out with it and just like anything else, you go out, I go out with my X100 at 23. That's all I have. So, yeah. and then with that lens baby, well, yes, you're going to miss a lot more shots um, because it is so tedious to, to use, but, uh, but it's very unique. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause one thing, you know, when you stick with one lens, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get the, FOMO, fear, fear of missing out. Gee, I've got I've got a thirty five. I wish I had a twenty eight on here. Uh, but see, I I I have been using that focal length yeah. for so many years yeah. now that I I don't I, I've have had to test other prime lenses. I had to use a fifty uh, for a, a week uh, last year. Actually, the, uh, no, earlier this year, I had to use a 50 for about a week. And I hated it because I was always, you know, I always had to step back. It becomes the way you see. So it, it makes no sense to switch all the time. Um, it's detrimental to, it's, it, it becomes detrimental to switch and it becomes a crutch, I think. Uh, stick with a focal length and you'll, you'll, I think you'll be more successful. I agree with you. So another quick question here before we move on. Do you, um, uh, so when you're out with your X100, probably a V, I'm sure, mm -hmm. do you zone focus with it? No, I don't. Yeah. I, the, the autofocus is, is so quick. And uh, I never liked zone focusing. Even when, you know, the cameras were not as 
good with uh, with focus. Uh, the earlier models, I never, never zoned focus, and I tried, and I just and and I know it, about half half of the street photographers will zone focus. I mean, it's you miss a lot fewer shots that way, but I never, never got the hang of it. So, yeah. Yeah, just wondered. Just wondered. You've been using it for so long. Um, yeah, another thing I wanted to ask you about you. You know, you you often talk about the importance of projects, mm-hmm. and um, the one problem I have is where do I come up with a project? I mean, <laughs> how do you come up with your project? Well. Everything has been yeah. done. So if you're trying yeah. to find something that's completely unique, forget it. And that's way too much pressure. You'll never find something uh, that hasn't been done. I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure you could, but um, I think everything, everything has been done. But no one's going to do it like you. So who cares exactly. what's been done? You're doing it for yourself. You're the only person you have to please. I mean, the personal project is not working for a client by definition. So you only has to... its only goal is to make you happy and so who cares what's been done um again no one's going to do it the same way you're doing it no matter what it is so pick i always tell people just pick something you're passionate about if you like dogs well pick a project that involves dogs if you like uh i don't know if you like uh, cars, pick a project that you know just pick something you're passionate about because then you're going to kill two birds with one stone you know, you're going to meet people in a field or in an area that you're passionate about besides photography too. So uh, like, I like art in general, I like music. So I did, I did several projects on, I did a project on musicians and I did a project on uh, artists in the space so I could hang out with like-minded people. So it's really, um, the more passionate you are about a subject, the more you're going to shine in in the in the capture of it so i think it all makes sense uh why why do i mean you can do something completely out of your comfort zone too to stretch Mm -hmm. yourself that's great too but uh it has to be fun if you're stretching yourself out of your comfort zone too much that it becomes you know a (laughs) torture well then i don't know what's the point (laughs) yeah that's a good point yeah yeah, I guess I wouldn't want to do one on root canals. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, and it's good to have short-term projects, long-term mm. projects. I always have several long-term projects that usually end up being books. And then um, and I have seasonal projects. Last year I did one on ice, mm-hmm. which was life like on the frozen yeah. lakes. I think we talked about it on yeah. a previous episode. And I may do, I may shoot again for it. This, I mean, their lakes are frozen already. I could go and hike on the lakes and and uh, and start photographing skaters and fishermen. And but um, I don't know now that now that that was last year's project. I'm not as excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started two uh, two other projects. Um, one on uh, visual narratives and one on um, on objects in the light. So. Once in a while, I'll just shoot for those. It's just don't put too much pressure on yourself. A lot of people do the 365, and there's so much growth in those projects. And I think no one who's um, ever done a 365 can say, I didn't learn anything. Mm -hmm. I think it's impossible. I mean, you will learn. But it can also become really frustrating. And so I think it's good to 
not put too much pressure. If you miss a day, big deal. You know, no one's going to get hurt. So miss a day. Just it's better to miss a day than photograph something completely uh, stupid that, yeah, you know, that you're not going to be satisfied with. So <laughs> skip a day. No big deal. So it, I think uh, if you put too much pressure, it again, it could become detrimental to your creativity. And then uh, it becomes and then you burn out with the project. Yeah, I've started several. Never got too far because it, it was pressure. Mm -hmm. You get to the evening. Oh, no, I didn't do anything. What am I going to do? <laughs> well, you know, do one a week. I think one a week uh, is better because you can shoot every day and then you post or you do a blog post on your favorite picture of the week. Mm -hmm. That way, if you only got three good shots that week, well, you post your favorite. Uh, if you got seven, you still post your favorite. You know, that's the pre there's less pressure. There's so many, so many things people can do, uh, even without leaving their their home or their city. Yeah. Speaking of blog posts, I, you know, you really write a lot about your work, and you know, we we publish a lot of articles in our magazine, obviously, and we require text to go with it. Many people say my photos speak for themselves, but and they certainly do. But what do you have to say about it? I, and um, I mean, what, why do you write so much? I mean, how does that help your photography? I think it's the educator in me. I always mm -hmm. want to share the why, how. Um, and I started right. Why well, I, I wrote that book for a New York publisher a few years back on um, visual stories, and then um, and then I started writing eBooks on teaching moments, you know, the creative vision behind the lens, um, which was part of that original book. And, uh, and, and when I post, sometime I just put a title, you know, just a, a short caption on a photograph, but sometime I'll just, I'll write my mood and how, what I saw and how I captured it, because then people learn. And, uh, and I do a lot of presentations like that. And that's part of the teaching. Not everybody, not everybody can write. And I'm not a writer. I mean, I'm not even writing in my native language. Um, it, I write, it's simple, but it, it's good that it's simple too, because then it's, um, it's no BS, you know, <laughs> I write like I speak and everybody can understand it. And so, um, it's just a way for me to reach, uh, reach an audience that may never come on a workshop or may never buy a book. And so I share on, you know, some time on, on, uh, I did a whole series of photo stories where I shared the creative vision behind the, behind the photograph yeah, and uh, people learn something from that. So, um, so like right today, actually I'm, I'm doing my 12 favorite photographs of the year. So I write a, a story about the photograph. So I started, today on uh, December um, 20th. And then uh, for the rest of the year, I will post one of my favorite shots of this year with a backstory. And, uh, and I like it. I like writing. Writing to me is, uh, again, it's very, it's very therapeutic. So for somebody who's reluctant to write, how would you recommend they get started? Well, just start. If anything, some people kind of freeze in front of a keyboard. Mm -hmm. uh, just just record it. 
you know, just <laughs> hit the record on your phone or on your mm -hmm. tablet and it's going to write itself. Uh, and sometimes it's easier for people to talk to an invisible audience than it is sure. to just write. So that's a good way to get started. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of writers dictate, dictate their first mm -hmm. sloppy copy or rough draft, yeah. whatever you call it. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, it's more efficient. It's quicker. Yeah. And um, I noticed you had two big things you did this year, or actually you didn't do. You um, closed your Facebook group a while actually, ago. I, I closed Facebook. I haven't looked at Facebook in years, and I was still posting on my page. And I wasn't even, I, I haven't looked at the podcast group page in a long time. Um, but I, I, I completely closed Facebook. Yeah, I it was I, I couldn't even look at it anymore. It became so um, I don't know. It became so political. Everything was so political. And I was like, uh -huh. I can't even look at it. So if I can't look at it, then I'm not going to post. So mm -hmm. I, I closed the, the, the page and the personal account. And I guess that probably closed the rest of the groups that were in there, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, and then because I stopped the podcast, I figured that made sense too. It's it just, uh, yeah, one thing is enough. I do um, I do Instagram and then Twitter a little bit, but Instagram is fine for photography. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Still Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> they own it anyway. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the podcast, that's the other thing I was going to mention. What, uh, what's that? You did that podcast for a long time. Yeah. Between the two shows, uh, Street Focus and then Hit the Streets, that was eight years of podcasting nonstop. Right. And uh, well, I mean, I loved every minute of it. The mm -hmm. Podcasting is not something you do if you don't love it because yeah. it's a lot of work and uh, you're not going to get, you're not going to get rich out of it. So, uh, and you usually don't hear from the audience very much mm -hmm. until you stop. And then everybody <laughs> comes out of the woodwork <laughs> and said, oh, but we loved it so much. Why did you stop? And I got dozens and dozens and dozens of amazing emails from around the world. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, where were all those people that were still doing this show? Yeah. You you know, you're you're just give, 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 give. And so, um, and I loved it. But I think um because for a whole year and a half everything was online, and then podcasting was yet another online thing, mm -hmm. uh, I it just got to be too much. Um, and then I was restarting the workshops and and when I'm teaching workshops, I'm on a plane at least once a month to a faraway destination, you know, with jet lag and everything. So you have to prep to have so many episodes before you get on, you know, before each trip. Yeah. It just became a pain, to be honest. Uh, and I, I had said when I started podcasting, I had said to myself, this is something I will only do if it's fun, if it stops being fun. Like everything else I do, if it stops being fun, I'm going to stop doing it. And I've, I've, that's how I've been living for a long time. And podcasting, podcasting became a chore. I was like, okay, this is it. I'm done. And people ask me, why did you stop at episode 183? I don't even remember which what one it was. Yeah. And I said, why didn't you stop at 200? Like, why? Why would I put myself through another 10 episodes of doing something I'm not enjoying anymore when, why? That's, I didn't even think of it. 
That's uh, pretty arbitrary. Like, I'm spontaneous. Yeah. I'm very spontaneous. Everything I do, I do, you know, uh, comes from the heart. And one day I decided, that's it. I'm done. And overnight I decided to end the show. I took, uh, I took two months off thinking, well, I'll probably restart in the fall. And yes, I did restart in September, but that was my final episode. Goodbye. So yeah, that was okay. Uh, and, and the show was doing really, really well, but I think it's good. I'd rather end it on a high than end it when the numbers are dropping. And so, um, so yeah, there was a, the audience was huge. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, and I'm, I'm glad I ended it like this. Yeah, well, I was sorry to see it go, um, but I certainly understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 you definitely don't get rich. I think, you know, they say of all the people who do podcasts, there's only a very, very small number who actually earn a living at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to, uh, and 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 there are people who've been, you know, radio hosts and they're, they have a whole crew working with them. You know, it's not just a one man show uh, or one woman show. It's a huge production. And those, yes, those can make money. But uh, when you do a photography podcast, yeah, it's going to pay for itself. You're going to get enough money to pay all the expenses because podcasting is not free. A lot of people think it is. It's not. I'm still paying to keep the show up. I'm not <laughs> going to keep paying forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a, in a few few weeks, maybe uh, six months at most, the show is going down because uh, I'm not going to keep paying to have it up on uh, uh, to have it up forever. I make I may make the downloads available, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can move them over to Amazon S3 or something. Let them sit yeah. there. Instead I'll of paying Leon Lipson or Blueberry, one of those. Yeah, Lipson. Lipson. You yeah. have to keep paying Good. that. And so, yeah. yeah, it makes no sense. I mean, everybody, a lot of people are just finding the show now, though. A lot of people, oh, oh, I just found your, your show. I'm like, well, enjoy it while you can. <laughs> you, you better listen to all of them in one one sitting. <laughs> well, you went a lot farther than probably 90% of the people who start a podcast, yeah. 183 episodes. That's, that's that, a lot. Yeah, for the first and then the for the second show. And then the first one, I was well over 100 and some as well. So yeah, yeah. so that's, uh, you know, that's 300 hours of podcasting about so that's a lot of time yeah i remember when you started because I, I listened to this week in photography every yep. week you were mm -hmm. regular on there and i remember when you started the started yeah. your first show well the good part is that now i have time to be on other shows and yeah. i have so much to share and i that makes me really happy because um although i was you know invited on several shows a year I turned down a lot because you know how it is. You're like, mm. you know, trying to schedule your own show. And then somebody else, oh, can you be a guest on my show? I was like, oh, that's probably the last thing I want to do on my time off. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so now I'm, I'm excited to get to, uh, to be the guest on, on other podcasts. So. Yeah. You can pick and choose. Absolutely. Only the best. <laughs> you know, it's fine too. I, I, I often get uh, invited on really new podcasts and, mm -hmm. I remember when I, you know, when um, I started. And so I find that it's nice to be able, if I have the time to, to give that, to give back and give time to somebody's brand new show um, to help their numbers right away. So it's kind of fun too. But 
uh, yeah, I can't promise. <laughs> no, well, you got a lot. You, you know, with anything, you can only do so much. There's only Absolutely. so much of you to go around. Plus, you have a family. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. I was, I was glad to glad to find out what was behind that. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, really uh, nothing big. Just just me deciding. Eh, something's got to give. Yep. And uh, the one thing that of all the thing photography related that I do, that wasn't on the top five of my list of, of priorities. So I was like, okay, well, that's going to go. It's smart. So, you know, um, another thing you, you talk about is being consistent within your body of work. And, you know, I, I ask these questions. I, I ask questions because they're important to me, and I think other people would ask them of you if they were here. And, you know, and, and you're obviously a very good teacher. I mean, how do you help people, help your students determine how to be consistent within a body of work? How, you know, do you focus on only one thing? Do you just drift around and do whatever? I, I think the important thing is to be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, I actually just recently, um, somebody who has asked me to mentor them um, said, well, I feel like I'm really scattered. I'm like, well, what do you mean scattered? Mm -hmm. Well, I do some black and white street and I do some contemplative photography and then I do some nature photography. I'm like, yes, well, are you working for a client? No. I'm like, so why do you feel you're scattered? You're doing things that you love to do. So what's the problem? Um, why why um, narrow it down to just one genre? If you're a good photographer, you should be good at pretty much anything. And the more you shoot, the better you're going to, to become. Um, I People know me as a street photographer or documentary photographer, and that's fine. But I'm kind of sad about that because it's not all I shoot. And that's why I started this new uh, series of workshops uh, in 2022, the See mm. With Your Heart workshop, which mm. has nothing to do with, with street photography because I have so much more to give and so much more to teach than just street photography. So so, so it's like being typecast. It's yeah. good. It's, it's good in a way because that's how you will become known in your field. But on the other hand, it's like, no, but I have so much more to give. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to be in a box. And and so, um, I mean, I shoot, I shoot nature. I just don't show it, but I do it for me. Um, and so anything you do will, will make you a better visual artist. So there, so now it all depends why you want to, uh, focus in one field. Uh, are you aiming on attracting an audience to start a business to, you know, if you love to, um, if you love to photograph architecture, uh, then yes, it's good to really show your best architectural work if you want to work for architects or designers or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a reason why you want to focus in, in one field. Unless it's just the only thing that you love to do, then yeah, go for it. But uh, why limit yourself if you love more than one thing? But a lot of street photographers only do street photography. 
uh, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. And why? Is it because they feel that that they they need to prove to the world that they're that's their specialty, or is it really because that's the only thing that makes them happy? I wonder. So, what's this new workshop all about? Oh, you the, don't leave the, with your heart. I um, yes, I I wrote a book on contemplative photography, and it's really to um, and and. I started the series of workshops, See With Your Heart workshops, so See Paris With Your Heart, See Rome With Your Heart. And um, and that's really letting go of everything you've learned, <laughs> every technical thing, every, every rule, and just uh, learn to see in a more intuitive way. And so I'm excited to start that. The book was was a, a big hit. It's an ebook. And then I did a couple big keynote presentations. Oh, several actually on the subject and they were all really uh, successful. I think it came at the right time where people were kind of stuck. You know, they were not traveling mm -hmm. and uh, they wanted to, they wanted to keep learning and, and they wanted to, to become better photographers while they were stuck in their homes for some of them. And so that kind of um, appealed to those people as well as street photographers too. So it's opening a new audience in a way, but the kind of crosses over. And so I have a lot of students who've taken street photography workshops for 10 years with me, and now they're, they want to do this too, because it kind of opens up a different way of seeing. And between the two, They'll never be bored <laughs> because they, they'll always uh, see something to photograph, whether they're on the streets or they're in their living room. So, and I think so many of us sometimes get caught up. You, you might start following some guru or thought leader or whatever, and you, whatever they say, you think that's what I've got to do. And that person mm -hmm. may say. If you're a street photographer, only shoot street, you know, yeah. and only do it in this light or only do oh. it this or that. And you're saying I the run exact from opposite. Those people. Do what's, I'm sorry, what'd you say? I say I run away from people who say <laughs> things like that. <laughs> yeah. I think we're I think a lot of people are just missing the point as to why they picked up a camera in the first place. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be fun. And if you set so many rules, it's not fun. Rules, yes. <laughs> They're meant to be broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who says those are rules? My daughter has a term. She says that's an assumption said with certainty. Spoken mm -hmm. with someone just, they assume something is true and they talk like it's absolute and other yeah. people believe them. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And, uh, I mean, I photograph things all the time. I, I don't, I don't go out on the streets every, every day, especially well, I do when I'm, when I'm traveling or when it's, uh, when the weather's nice, but you know, it's cold up here already. And so I'm not going to be on, you know, on the streets every day when there's no one out there. So I still, I still, you know, do my, um, my visual push-ups with uh, simple things that I that catch my attention, hmm. and um, whether they're reflections on the streets or reflections on uh, on my window, uh, that type of thing. So it's a it's really opening your heart to to the beauty of everyday life and everyday objects as well. Yeah, let me ask you one more thing before we go. I know your your time is short today, but. Mm 
you've been doing street photography for, for a long time. What do you think, and you've talked to a lot of people who are new at it, experienced at it. What do you think is the biggest misconception about street um, photography? The biggest one is probably people still think that street photography is being in people's face. <laughs> um, and that's not, and that's definitely not the way I do it. Um, and so I think that stops a lot of people from trying. There's so many ways to do it that are yeah. non-obtrusive or, um, and because being in people's face, I mean, it was a trend for a while where people would just, mm -hmm. uh, get really close to people and then just photograph them, like looking at them, like. Mm -hmm deer in headlights and then walk away. I was like, somebody does that to me and they get punched. <laughs> I And so that's terrible way of doing it. It can be very successful. It can be very strong, but it's so disrespectful. And so that is not the way I, that's not the way I teach. Even if I get really close to people, um, it's always in a respectful way and yeah. uh, not in a way to, um, I never provoke um uh, I never provoke people. I, I hate that. I agree with you. Why would you bother? I think it was you who said, I think is um, like your workshop rules. Don't you have like a rule that says, don't be a jerk, basically, <laughs> in so uh, many words. I, I don't. <laughs> Uh, well, I may have said that. I don't think that was me, but um, oh, okay. it's like, just be respectful. And yeah. and even if people are, you know, are unhappy that you photograph them and you're in your rights, well, so what? You know, it doesn't matter. It's still, it's still invading their privacy. No matter, no matter if you're in your legal rights or not, they have the right to be upset that they were photographed. So mm -hmm. uh, respect, 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 and never photograph people in vulnerable situation, embarrassing situation. Mm -hmm. And it should be a given, but I see a lot of that on online. And sometimes I see a person that's being photographed. Like humor, humor in street photography is very difficult because it's subtle. But mm -hmm. making fun of someone, that's very easy in a photograph. And sometimes I see photographs that uh, making fun of the subject and it's like that's someone's mom or someone's sister and mm -hmm. and it's posted online and it's it's uh it's making fun of them it's ridicule at that point and i think that's crossing the line yeah. i mean there is humor and there is ridicule for example and that they're very different there used to be a website maybe it's still there called people of walmart oh and yes <laughs> I thought, why do that I know. I mean, yeah. we've all, uh, I think, taken some pictures like that. Uh, but I think it's really important to uh, to refrain from um, from posting that, unless you're working on a specific series. Mm -hmm. But you know, then again, you know, think of it that way. What if it was you on that picture being posted for the world to see? That mm -hmm. always kind of turn that around. How would mm -hmm. you feel? That's right. We, mm -hmm. we receive submissions like that all the time. Yeah. None of them ever see the light of day, at least not in our publication. Yeah. And there's so many ways to do this, um, to, to do street photography or documentary photography in a beautiful way and respectful way. Um, and, um, and to save this beautiful genre of photography, because the more people are going to do it, uh, disres with disrespect, the more difficult it's going to be. To be uh, to be on the street and and do what we do. I agree completely. 
All right. One quick, one last thing real quick. Mm-hmm. Cause I know you got to run. What's your number one prediction for 2022? Oh, oh, oh. This is going to publish uh, on uh, New Year's Eve. So tomorrow, oh. what's a big prediction? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, things are moving really, really, really fast right now. And I know it's, uh, it's pretty scary. I'm hoping that this new, uh, new wave will hmm. come and go really quickly. Uh, and that by spring we'll be able to take a deep breath again. Um, so I, I really do think people are, um, people are, people who are being responsible and who've taken all the precautions that have been really, really good for the past almost two years, uh, are, are ready to just live with this thing and, and, uh, start seeing the world again and, and start having fun again. I'm really worried about the mental health of, of, uh, of humanity, uh, after these, these two years. But, um, so, um, I think we're going to see more, um, it's still going to be a lot of online stuff. I'm already mm-hmm. being invited to a lot of online conferences and, and such, but I hope we start seeing um, live conferences again, especially for photography. They're so important. Yeah. And, uh, and I hope that a lot of my colleagues will restart their workshops as well. Uh, I mean, I know it's, it's scary and, uh, but um, if you if you do it uh, if you do it right and if people are responsible, you know you can uh, you can certainly be teaching on the streets again. So I'm um, uh, no other predictions than uh, just a big 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 wish that uh, <laughs> we, we all get out of this and uh, and and start uh, breathing a little bit easier soon again. Yeah. That, that's a good point. The way things are now, I think we're better with a big wish rather than a big guess. <laughs> yeah, not predicting anything. <laughs> yeah. All right, Valley. Well, tell us where can people find you? Uh, very you easy. Uh, Valérie Jardin, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N on um, Instagram. And then um, .com for my uh, website, which will take you everywhere else. Um, and uh, you could Google my name. You'll find it. It should be pretty much on top <laughs> by now. Well, very cool. Well, I know we're playing this on New Year's Eve. But we're well, recording. Happy New Year. Bonne année. Yeah. Bonne année. And, but I'll say Merry Christmas because it's That's we're right. recording it before Christmas. <laughs> Same to you. So thank Christmas you, Bob. Day. Good. Well, thank you. And uh, let's do this again. In the new year. When you're ready. Sounds good. Thank <laughs> you. All right. 